I'm going to give you a name. And you imagine what you think the person looks like. Ready? The name is Nick Dombrowski. Got a picture? Well, I met a guy named Nick Dombrowski a while back. He owns a bike shop in L.A. Hi. Hi, how are you doing? Good. Nick, really good to meet you. It's nice to meet you. Totally thought you'd be Polish. Yeah, I just said I totally thought you'd be Polish. It was a bad joke. Nick looks appalled. Then he laughs. <laughs> I get that so much. The worst is when people meet me first and then see my name. People put like this weird, like, Asian accent on it. And it's like, Dromoske. <laughs> Nick had sent me an email with the subject line that read, growing up with someone else's name. He said he'd always had this one moment. Every time he meets someone new, he can gauge something about them. Something about their expectations, about what a guy named Nick Dombrowski should look like. And like some people, they don't even know how to process it. And they just look at you like, what? If you haven't guessed by now, Nick's not a six foot tall, white, blonde guy. He was adopted from South Korea. Every time he meets someone new and he sees that flicker of surprise in their eyes, it feels like they're saying he shouldn't be part of his family. Most of his life, Nick shrugged that off. But now he feels like the whole country is trapped in one of those moments, what with the whole national focus on race and identity. Nick's wondering where that leaves him, and if other kids of color adopted into white families are also facing the limits of their privilege. I'm Rupa Shanoi, and this is Otherhood. Nick grew up in a Pittsburgh suburb that his parents chose because it was one of the most diverse around. They adopted his brother from South Korea, too, and then they had two younger biological daughters. Nick says the six of them felt like a normal family. Later, he realized, though, that people didn't treat them like one. So many times we'd all be at dinner, and it'd be my sisters and me and my brother and my parents. And we're like, we're not teenagers yet. And the service would ask me and my brother if we were on a separate bill. Like, my parents would be offended. And I still wouldn't really understand what was going on. Memories like that horrify him now, like the first day of fifth grade. On the bus. Didn't even make it to school yet. I got caught a chink. He didn't know what it meant. He asked his parents, and they were mad. But they still didn't explain racism in depth. So Nick just ended up feeling bad and not really knowing why. He eventually got kind of an attitude about it. I'm sure you get that. I think most people of color get the where are you from questions. And for some reason, when I worked at Best Buy, I got asked that a lot. And they'd ask me where I'm from. Like, I'm from here. And they're like, oh, like, no, where are your parents from? It's like, oh, like, my mom grew up in Penn Hills, which is like another suburb. My dad grew up in Etna, which is like just outside the city. I know what they want, but I'm not going to give it to them. It always gets to the, like, well, no, what are your parents' ethnicity? And like, they're just digging for this thing so they can put you in their box. Nick grew up and started a bike company and didn't think about his identity that much until about five years ago. In the past couple of years, I've really started to examine like my own behavior. So to preface, I was hit by a truck. Oh my God. 
Yeah, he said he was hit by a truck as an aside. It happened when he was riding his bike. Nick was laid up with a concussion. As he recovered, he met his girlfriend, Tara, who along with her parents are Persian immigrants, and she helped him think through things. I was able to really recognize that even though all the people that know me say, like, I'm pretty much white, that's a really disturbing thing to to say. And I kind of stopped seeing myself that way because I realized I wasn't being treated that way. He started to speak up among white family and friends, like when Colin Kaepernick started taking a knee during the national anthem. 49ers quarterback knelt instead of standing during the national anthem at last night's game. This time, he took a knee right behind hundreds of service members being honored on Military Appreciation Night. Wouldn't you love to see one of these NFL owners when somebody disrespects our flag to say, get that son of a off the field right now, out, he's fired. Kaepernick's biracial and was raised by white adoptive parents, parents who supported his activism. He was protesting ongoing police brutality against black men. You know, I have great respect for men and women that have fought for this country. I have family, I have friends that have gone and fought for this country. And they fight for freedom, liberty and justice for everyone. And that's not happening. Some of Nick Dombrowski's friends said on Facebook that Kaepernick didn't have a right to take a stand. People were like, you know, what does he know about racism his white parents? And these are like people that I know personally. And I actually had this exact conversation with somebody. I'd write them a message like, dude, I have white parents. And like, you've been with me when like we've been out at a bar and some drunk guy pushes me and calls me a chink and tells me to get out of here. Like, you've, you've seen that with me and told me about how horrible that is and that you're upset that I have had to deal with that, but yet, right now, you're saying this about somebody else. Nick feels like he's been able to change minds with these conversations, and he's glad he can do something. But most of the time, Nick still feels oddly in the middle, like he's playing both sides, relying on white privilege with white people and relying on not being white with people of color. Like when he debuted some new reflective stickers for bike wheels at a trade show. Nick told his audience they were made in America. I had all these like 50-year-old white guys coming up to me and being like, why are you saying this is made in the U.S.? This obviously isn't made in the U.S. And they'll say, well, you must have like a family member that owns a factory and it's being made there. And I'm just like, what are you talking about? And then I have to like use my white name as leverage to like prove myself. And then you have this whole like, oh, you're an American, like I can trust you now kind of thing. It's a hard thing to deal with because you're like, this is so messed up. And then there's this whole other way he gets attacked by people of color. Like when he opened this store that we're in, in a Latino neighborhood in L.A., one local walking by spit in Nick's face, thinking the owner, Nick Dombrowski, was white. Nick explained he was the owner, and the guy's attitude abruptly changed. He's like, I just thought you were white guys. Now that I know that you're not white, like, we're cool. After talking to Nick, I wanted to know more about adoption in general. I've never reported on it before. My name is Adam Pertman. I'm president of the National Center on Adoption and Permanency and author of the book Adoption Nation. Pertman says international adoptions weren't always a thing. 
They arose out of war, specifically the Korean War in the 1950s. American servicemen had kids with Korean women, and those kids were often abandoned. So people started organizing adoptions. Since then, Pertman says, there's been a general prevailing attitude about how adopted kids should be raised. The effort was always to normalize. What does that mean? No, you know, the families can look like a lot of different ways. They're normal. Your norm is different than my norm, but they're both normal. And so normalization is something that is a nice word for saying that all kinds of families are, are just fine. That seemed to work, he says, until the concept of diversity itself got political. Now there's a feeling like maybe the doors are open to people discriminating against them in ways that hadn't been okay for a long, long time. And they're, they're being in some subtle ways and some not so subtle ways being told, well, actually, you're different by the president. Pertman offers a caveat here. He's speaking as a white guy and his adopted kids are white. But he says lots of adoptive families with kids of color have told him they're feeling this shift. Those kids now are becoming much more aware of their race. They feel more stigmatized. They feel more different. They feel more other. And that's not supposed to be the idea. It's your parents' job to help you navigate that. It's, it shouldn't be their job to explain why the president of the United States just said something that's offensive to you. And that's the position those kids and those parents are being put in way too often. It's the unraveling, if you will, of normalization. Families and individual adoptees are left figuring things out on their own. I remember one time in college, I took this class called, oh, I don't know what it's called, oppression, some people, power and oppression, something power and oppression. There was another word. This is Maya Rogers Burnson. In that class, she says, they put a line on the floor and everyone stood behind it and the teacher asked questions. So just like things like, have you ever experienced like being looked at on the T or whatever? The questions were supposed to gauge how often some people felt othered by those around them. Every time you could answer yes, you were supposed to take a step back. If you could answer no, you took a step forward. A lot of the white people in the class were far forward. I was more towards the front of the room where I was walking forward a lot. And two women who were African-American were farther back, which meant that they had experienced a lot of like things that like shouldn't have to happen to people. And these two women were very confused as to why I was so far forward. And I think that's because of the color of my skin. Maya was born in northern India, and her skin's brown. But Maya says those women didn't know she was raised by white parents in a small, nearly all-white town in Connecticut. We're driving there to have lunch with their family. It's confusing in my head because I don't feel like I need to care what my skin color is. Inside, I feel different than the outside. (laughs) Maya's parents were careful to be supportive about her brown identity. Her dad, Howie's a winemaker. Dad, what is your favorite color? Okay, so when they were little, each one would always ask that question. I suppose all kids do. And so what I told them was, and which is true, it's beautiful brown. It's the color of my three favorite things. The good earth, chocolate, and them. (laughs) Maya's mom, Sally, is a teacher, songwriter, and singer. Sally and Howie thought it was important to expose Maya to Indians and Indian culture. 
When Maya was seven, they took a family trip to India. So we had learned one thing. We would learned to say, ye bacha godliahe, which means this child is adopted. <laughs> Meanwhile, Maya was deeply scared that her parents were going to leave her there. The last thing you would want your child to think is that you're going to leave them, and it never occurred to us. You know. Maybe because their older daughter, Milana, loved that trip to India. The two girls were adopted from the same orphanage and raised in the same place, but ended up with very different feelings about their identities. In Connecticut, where Maya's comfortable, Milana feels like an outsider. Partly because I was a very angry child, and I feel like I was always picking fights. And I think I, I did feel like a message of kind of like that I was making a big deal out of nothing sometimes. Like in the family, which, you know, sometimes yes, but sometimes like... I felt like there was that there is that culture of kind of like everything's fine sometimes. Milana's 29 now and Maya's 26. After Trump was elected president, Milana called Maya and told her she was worried about what Trump's presidency would mean for POCs. Maya didn't know what POC meant. I googled it. <laughs> because I never really identified myself as a person of color. That was when like, I realized that I wasn't just a person, but I was also something else that could be affected. Milana says she hasn't heard Maya say that before. It's like sometimes that's been hard, I think, in our relationship, because I feel like, how are you not, like, seeing this, or how are you not experiencing things, like, the same way as me? I mean, they wrote, like, the N-word on the wall of the school. Like, you know, we would, people yelled things out of cars to me. One time when I was a kid, somebody said they were going to kill me. I also think we probably had certain privileges to be able to assimilate being a part of a white family and like being Asian, not being black, like you can kind of go with the flow a little bit more. So I think if you have the opportunity to do that, like why not? Going forward, Howie and Sally are worried about how the Trump era will affect their girls. I asked them if it was weird having to think about how people of color are experiencing this time. Howie's Jewish, so he's already experienced that yeah, in yeah. a different yeah. way. My dad's family were killed for being Jewish in uh, Russia and Ukraine. So. Yeah, but Dad, you said one, well, you know, I don't think that's the same thing. That's Milana again. I, I do think it's a thing, but it's not the same thing. But I also think, but no, but you said the other day how you felt like you were surprised at how hard it was for us because you felt like as a Jew that it wasn't like it never was that hard for you to be around people who weren't Jewish or to be in a community where you were one of like in the minority remember you said that like last week <laughs> do, you have a, do you have a recording of this I, I refuse to make any comments unless you bring me the recording it seems like without realizing it Howie, Sally, Maya, and Milana are navigating this era by talking about things they weren't talking about before, challenging each other in ways that feel comfortable, and evolving together. I checked in with dozens of adoptees while working on this episode. Many of them spend time in adoptee Facebook groups and on message boards. But there's still an immense hunger to understand each other. In particular, they want to know how Republican adoptive families are doing. I talked to Nancy French, a writer for the conservative magazine National Review, who ghost-wrote Sarah and Bristol Palin's books. I am so conservative that I used to tape on VHS Rush Limbaugh's television show. I would come home from high school and watch Rush Limbaugh. Like, I loved him. 
French's husband is David French, an attorney who also writes for the National Review. They have two biological children, and after David returned from serving in Iraq, he convinced Nancy to adopt a third child. We decided to adopt the quickest way without regard to nationality. For some reason, we just thought that, you know, kids are kids and, you know, it's not going to be a big deal if they don't look like us. Naomi was two and a half when they went to Ethiopia to adopt her. She only weighed 14 pounds, so she looked like a baby. There were issues immediately, like Nancy didn't know how to do Naomi's hair. So a lot of black women would come up to me and tell me that what I was doing was not appropriate for her hair. Like once I was at Target checking out and the cashier looked at Naomi and said, you are beautiful, or at least you would be if your mother took care of you. Those women had valid points, Nancy says. She took classes and watched YouTube tutorials until she improved. But the criticism reached a whole new level when the family stepped into a public spotlight in 2012. Nancy was working for Sarah Palin, and her husband was considering a run for the White House. She says they took the kids everywhere with them, including the stage of the Conservative Political Action Conference. David was getting an award. So they call us up to accept it, and immediately, and I think it was televised on like CNN or C-SPAN or something, and immediately we start getting all this terrible response from people. Um, People are upset that Republicans are raising a black child. They said that this was cultural genocide, which is ridiculous. Like, she would not have lived. Actually, Sarah Palin came up to me because she saw some of the backlash on the internet, and she goes, you have to promise me that you will never read any of these comments. Nancy rejected the belief at the heart of all that criticism that Republicans were racist. But then if you fast forward a few years, you've got Republicans standing behind a president who says horrible, racially insensitive, polarizing things. She still doesn't think average Republicans are racist. But how would you know it if you judge by their enthusiasm for this president? So she did the most meaningful thing she could do. I wish I could have done something dramatic, like burn a card or something like that. Um, But yes, I actually quit the Republican Party. But the Frenches still live in rural Tennessee, where they're surrounded by Republican Trump supporters. Recently, I was out with Naomi and she saw Donald Trump come up on a TV in the corner of a restaurant and She says, oh, I do not like Donald Trump. And, you know, there are all these, you know, Tennesseans sitting around eating, you know, eating their sandwiches happily. And so I just sort of like brought her into me and I said, we don't need to talk loudly about politics anymore. This is a different era. I'm not worried about her offending people. I just don't want to draw attention to the fact that we're a white family with a black child in today's political climate. Naomi's 10 now. Online trolls have kept up their attacks. They take pictures of Naomi from the French's Facebook pages. And in one example, photoshopped them to look like Naomi was in Auschwitz and Donald Trump was pulling a lever to kill her. Nancy talks to Naomi about racism when it comes up. And unfortunately, she says that seems to be often. Nancy says adults seem to single Naomi out and other kids say cruel racist things. She tries to reassure Naomi in positive ways. I asked her if she would feel the same way about Republicans and Trump if she didn't have a black child. I don't know that I would have the same deep, you know, feelings 
if I didn't have Naomi, but I would hope that I would. And my message to conservatives out there is that you should too. Even if you don't have an immigrant in your family, you should have that same deep unrest in your spirit when you hear the president say these things, even if you are not directly impacted by them. Naomi, Maya, and Milana all got new names when they were adopted, like Nick Dombrowski. Maya has two passports with the same picture of her as a baby, but two different names. Sometimes she just holds them up against each other and thinks about how weird that is. I asked Nick what he'd do if he adopted a kid like him now. He says he has a few friends whose parents gave them their Korean names as their middle name, and he might do that. But maybe more importantly, he would talk to the kid about racism and how to deal with it. Nick doesn't fault his parents for not doing that, though. You know, from a white perspective, I think that's a hard conversation to even understand. And even if you want to have that conversation, I think that you might, like, it's way worse than sex talk, right? Because, like, the sex talk is, like, something that you know about. This is something that, like, you can read all you want as, like, a a white parent of a, a child of color, but you'll never really understand, so you have to, you want to have this conversation. Where do you even start? You tell me. I want to do more episodes on this. There's clearly a lot here. Get in touch or send me your advice and stories, and I'll share them back with all of you. Otherhood's on Facebook, and you can message me there. Or tweet me, at Rupa Shinoy. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Rupa Shinoy, and this has been Otherhood from PRI. Субтитры